0: We will be looking at verse 20 this evening. We're, we're going to consult much of the chapter for context of what we're learning. Uh, but we're going to focus on verse 20 together. Let us open our Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 20 is what we're looking at this evening. Uh, I am going to bring you along through a number of verses through the chapter, so please keep it marked and follow along if you can. Uh, I want to try to... Uh, bring out uh, a lot, kind of just a flying over, not a deep going into the verses, but just to, to fully appreciate what we're being told in verse 20. Verse 20 is telling us that Jesus prayed for you and me. And how that is our assurance, another aspect of our assurance of salvation. But the whole chapter is his prayer. And so as we think about the fact that he prayed for us, we want to see some of the things he prayed for for us. But we'll be focusing on verse 20. So let me read that for us now. John 17, verse 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me. Through their word, so right there in verse twenty, if you if you mark your Bibles, and I'm not telling you you need to do that, but uh, if you do, you might you might make a note next to verse twenty. It occurs to me here Jesus prays for me. You know, it's not really the only scripture we can point to for that, but in particular, Jesus praise for me right here in this verse. That is a comfort. That is a means of assurance for you. Jesus says, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. Well, what brought me to John 17 this evening, and and again, I'm just focusing on a few things, uh, focusing mostly on the, the fact that he prayed for you. Uh, But we'll look at uh, some things related to that to fully impress assurance upon us. But I mentioned to you a book this morning. I couldn't remember the name of the author, which is embarrassing. I don't know why I always draw blanks sometimes when I haven't written it down. Well, you know the name, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And uh, I found a book by him about this thick in uh, one of the Goodwill uh, bookstores. And I said, I better grab that. I'm not familiar with that. The assurance of salvation. And uh, as I mentioned, well, the whole title is this. The assurance of our salvation, exploring the depth of Jesus' prayer for his own. And uh, one thing he points out to us is kind of the sections of the prayer. The first section of the prayer actually prays for himself and the glory of the Father. And everything else is the extension of that, the glory of the Father. The next part is he he prays for more directly his disciples, the apostles. Uh, some would argue others with him at the time. And then lastly, uh, about verse 20 through the end, he prays particularly for you and me, Christians that will believe on him. So he prays. For us, and that's why we do believe, of course. Now that book is uh, 662 pages, and uh, yeah, so I didn't get through it all, <laughs> but I was motivated by it. I was thinking a lot about preaching on assurance, thinking about a lot about a lot about the Westminster Standards, and as you know, I'm relying on them too, and and to guide me in what scriptures I might highlight. Uh, and uh, I couldn't get away from Art Lloyd Jones. Kind of wanted to say, well, wait a minute, that's a little too much to try to tackle right now. I I only got about 50 or 60 pages out of it, and I skipped ahead to the important most direct sections. And I'll share some things with you on that. Uh, But uh, I don't know that I would have thought of John 17 related to assurance. In fact, as far as I recall, as I was looking through all the Scripture references with the Westminster Standards, I don't think I saw John 17 referenced. But Martin Lloyd-Jones writes 662 pages on John 17. Now at the end he he brings up a couple other scriptures, a couple almost like appendices, but it's almost all about John 17. He has a lovely chapter early on just looking at Christ's example of how to pray, for instance. That would be something nice to maybe have on a Wednesday night study sometime just going through that. But one thing he brings up in the book that I, I think is, is a profound and an encouragement for us to to give ourselves deeply to looking at this prayer for us tonight. he mentions the great reformer of Scotland, John Knox, you know that guy you've heard of him right you know and uh, we, the, the reformer of Scotland he, he wrote the history literally about the Reformation of Scotland, which was pretty much an autobiography, and uh, you know the great John Knox, who was known for making it through. As a scully slave, not sure if that's the right word, but a slave on the boats, you know, for the French, survived that when most didn't. It severely crippled him the rest of his life. God uses him in England, uses him back in Scotland to do a mighty work. He's the man that people have commented who saw him preaching. I thought he was going to turn the pulpit into splinters. (laughs) This man, when he was almost to give up the ghost. When he was weak, at his deathbed, the last days of his life, asked his wife to read John 17 to him. And while she was reading John 17 to him, he, as Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it, passed from time to eternity. So he said, please read John 17 for me, and she did, and the Lord brought him into eternity, thinking of the Lord's prayer. Again, if you think about what we're studying, assurance of salvation, you can understand why a man at his deathbed, he wasn't perfect like any of us and how God used him just like Luther comes with all kinds of other challenges, you know, uh, that come with all of our imperfections. And you can understand read for me Christ's high priestly prayer before I die. While I'm dying until I die for my assurance of what happens next. Lloyd-Jones writes this, If we had nothing but John 17, we would surely have more than enough to sustain us. Because here, our Lord has given us an insight into our whole position and into everything that is of importance and of value to us while we are in this world of time. want you remember what we've been studying Wednesday nights as we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The second thing we pray specially, guided by Thomas Watson to understand, is we pray, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from Satan. Deliver us from the adversary. Remember you have an adversary, you have an accuser. but also remember. By this prayer, you have an advocate. You have an advocate. We speak sometimes of vouching for someone. Oh, I'll vouch for him, I'll vouch for her, or someone says that for us, I'll vouch for him. And it's, it's a way of speaking up for and on behalf of and guaranteeing they're good, they can be trusted, they can gain entrance, or I'll vouch for him, he's with me. Come on in, otherwise you're not getting in, Right? And uh, the person vouching must have street cred. The person vouching uh, on behalf of another has to have value to be able to bring that other person in. And so Christ does this for us in him to the father. He's preparing to go back to heaven from whence he came. And he's praying that you and I will see and know that glory with him that he had with the father before the foundation of the world. And he's about to go die To accomplish that for us. He'd been talking in the last few chapters to the disciples, I'm going to be leaving soon. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to comfort you. We talked a lot about the presence of the Holy Spirit in us uh, testifying to our spirits with the Son of God for assurance this morning. But also Jesus prayed for us. He vouched for us. Why did Peter Who denied Jesus three times, wept bitterly over it, returned to serve Jesus and feed his sheep. Ultimately, why? The answer is because Jesus prayed for him before it even happened. Luke 22, 31 to 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. And course, that's another name for Peter, the apostle, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee, that thy faith... Fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Notice this. I have prayed for thee. Satan himself is after Peter. But the reason he doesn't get him is Jesus intercedes as mediator and prays. For him, You can think of all the illustrations through the Pentateuch, now in Deuteronomy, where Moses is the type of Christ as the mediator and protects us from otherwise certain destruction that we bring upon ourselves. But I have prayed for thee. And then notice he says that your faith doesn't fail, so therefore his faith didn't fail. Why? Because Jesus prayed specifically for that for him. And what else? Notice this. This is an insight of another. Uh, I couldn't remember where I got it from, but I think it's that book, Our Ancient Foe. But notice this. He didn't say, I've prayed, thy faith fail not. And if thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. He prayed, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. It's going to happen because I asked for it. It will happen. When you are converted, and not the sense of converted from not being a believer to a believer, but converted back. You know, we're always being converted, as it were, uh, more and more. When you come back to your senses, strengthen thy brethren. And when you do, not if you do, when you do. Because I've prayed for you. Just as Jesus prayed for Peter like that, so beloved, he prayed for all of you who would believe Peter. And who would deny Jesus like Peter? And who would weep bitterly like Peter and return to serve the church like Peter? Why do you keep coming back? I'm sure each and every one of us has had times where I don't know if I'm going to make it to church today. If ever again, how can I go and face Christ? How can I go and face my brethren? And why do you make it back? Because Jesus prayed for you. We can't comment on others that come and go, but what we can comment on is you are here because Jesus prayed for you. And you'll be here again because Jesus prayed for you. Not if, but when you're back again to serve him next Lord's Day, it's because Jesus prayed for you that you would strengthen the brethren, that you'll serve the brethren. It isn't just for you. And as you'll see, this whole prayer isn't even about us. It's for his glory. And ultimately, it's about God's glory. He prays for us that we would continue to glorify God. Christians will be believing on Jesus in and into eternal salvation because Jesus asked the Father for this to be so. That's the only reason you need. That's the only thing you really need for assurance. The spirit testifies to you personally, but the greatest source of assurance, Christian, I give this to you as, as the main idea of our verse, Christians will be believing on Jesus in and unto eternal salvation because Jesus asked the father for this to be so. So if someone were to insist, you can lose your salvation. And some do insist it like that. Like there's, I don't know. I don't know why they're so bold about it. It's a pretty pathetic thing to say as someone pretending to be a Christian and represent Christ. And there's certainly no hope or assurance in that. If someone were to say you can lose your salvation, they'd have you can counter, What about John 17? Are you saying the prayer of the mediator is to no effect for his people? And it's all for the glory of God. Are you to, you're trying to take away God's glory? God will have... The people he sent his son to save. Jesus doesn't lose one of those people. And then he gives them back into God's hand as he returns to his right hand. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 18, Section 4. I gave you the first three of four this morning. Chapter 18 is on assurance of salvation. By the way, that's a, one of the strengths of the developing more mature confession. Based on all the important things that have come before, you will not see this level of discussion. You'll see a wonderful, you'll see wonderful aspects of it, such as in Heidelberg Catechism number one. But this developed and detailed discussion of assurance is something new. Which is why I always like to say, if you don't mind, a little aside here, especially for. Uh, uh, for Mrs. Ragland, if you don't mind, used to be her pastor years ago. Dr. Wayne Spear, I remember in seminary, he said, well, you know, the Westminster standards are said to be cold. They're not nearly as warm as the Heidelberg and the, you know, the three forms of unity. And I always remember, and, and Dr. Spear is not one to guffaw or be very demonstrative. He's an old Scot, you know. <laughs> but his answer was, ha! <laughs> Look at the chapter on assurance of salvation, you know. He didn't say it like that. I couldn't do if I tried to do it well he doesn't have a Scottish accent if I tried to do a Scottish accent I always saw, sound Japanese I don't I don't know why that is I can't do it but actually he didn't have that accent he was born raised in America but he didn't he wouldn't have expressed himself quite that way but I want you to recognize the blessing we have and in, in the Westminster standards that it's fully more fully developed standing on the shoulders of all those before us, including such as covenant theology and in this case a whole chapter on assurance and I want to encourage 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 you and remind you to go back to it when you need assurance. And I know we always need assurance. So the last section, four sections, chapter 18 on assurance in the Westminster Confession of Faith says this: True believers may have the assurance of their salvation diverse ways shaken, diminished, and intermitted. As by negligence in preserving of it, by falling into some special sin which wounds the conscience and grieves the spirit, by some sudden or vehement temptation, by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance. And sometimes there's we have books called spiritual desertion on that topic. And suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light yet. So what they're recognizing is all that's been said before in the other sections, we recognize that your sense of assurance can waver. You can have... strong sense, sometimes you can have a, a weak sense other times and, and doubt your salvation. But here's what it says, though that can be so, yet are they never, true believers, never so utterly destitute of that seed of God and life of faith, that love of Christ and the brethren. That sincerity of heart and conscience of duty out of which by the operation of the spirit, this assurance may in due time be revived and by the which in the meantime they are, support, they are supported from utter despair. So there's never a time where God is going to let you get to the point of utter despair that you doubt and conclude you're not a believer and you lose the faith. It's not possible. Why? Among other reasons, John 17. Jesus prayed for you. Jesus acted as your advocate and mediator in his high priestly prayer. John 17. And I'd like to Look through it with you together again. The whole thing is ultimately a prayer for you Uh, I want to focus on verse 20 and along with verse 9 and we'll return to it with the main thing I want to keep impressing with you tonight is that Jesus prayed for you He prayed that you would believe Mm -hmm. that you'd always believe and you'd be in glory but let's, let's look at some of the sections of it and get a sense of this prayer in toto that he prayed for you. First, the plan of glorifying God is the root of assurance, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 17. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, The hour is come, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He's saying, I am about to go to the cross, and after that I'm completely done. I've lived the perfect life to be the perfect sacrifice. Then I will raise myself from the dead. I will ascend back into heaven where I came from. Back with you in the glory we've enjoyed from all eternity. This is the root of assurance. God sent his son to take on humanity. To bring salvation, eternal life to those whom he would grant to know him and the father that sent him. And then he goes back. And he has secured salvation for us. Martin Lloyd-Jones says of verses 1 through 5, There is no greater ground of security in this world of time than to feel that you are a part of the grand plan and purpose of God that's where we're going in the prayer in verse 20 in verse 9 but particularly you're part of this plan it starts here it's all for the glory of God it's all his perfect amazing plan you might think of the order uh, de salutis the order of salvation Romans uh, chapter 8 uh, it's all part of his plan those whom he has called he justifies those whom he has justified he glorifies but it's all for his glory you will be his vessels of mercy for his glory. Romans 9. Spurge, uh, excuse me. uh Lloyd-Jones says, you know, there's no greater thing than to be part of such a glorious plan of God for his glory. The reason that you can have assurance is Jesus prayed that you would be for God's glory. It's all part of this plan from eternity. And you're part of it. He also points out that as you read these first five verses, uh, he says there's really no more supreme summary of the gospel in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. I might contend a little thinking of 1 Corinthians 15 or other places, but uh, I I want to impress upon you how impressed he is with John 17 and his 662 pages about it uh, and how much he's emphasizing in the beginning here, these first five verses, this is Christ revealing the gospel plan of salvation to us and we ought to be meditating on it and he also says in some other asides one of the biggest problems for the church today is we don't like to meditate and we don't particularly meditate on the plan of salvation and God's glory in it may the Lord bless us in doing so this evening so Jesus first prays for God to be glorified that's the root of our assurance if this is God's plan from eternity to glorify himself everything that follows is coming out of that, stemming out of that root. It it can't be separated. It won't be separated. And Christ therefore prays for it. Notice also that those whom he prays for are given to Christ. Uh, You could say God doesn't do take backs. He doesn't do give backs. He gives them to Christ. They're his. He doesn't lose them. Uh, Verse 2 As thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him specifically God handpicked and gave you to Christ. He had you planned from all eternity to do so. Verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Why? Because they were given to God. They were given by God the Father to God the Son. Uh, Look at verse 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. You gave them to me, therefore they believe. Verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. But he has given them the world. They've been given to him by the Father. And he gives them his word. And his word saves. Verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom Thou hast given Me be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory which Thou hast given Me, for Thou lovest Me before the foundation of the world. He's prayed that you will see Heaven. He's prayed that you will know the glorious experience of being in that fellowship of the Trinity that He has known before He came here. He came here to bring you into that forever. This whole thing is about God's glory and you're sharing and enjoying in it. And he prays that you will see that, you know, you can understand why uh, John Knox would love to hear this at his deathbed. He's prayed that you will see my glory. Christ's work of salvation for them is as if it already is finished. This prayer is the application of it. Look at verse four again. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. It's finished. What did he say on the cross later? It is finished. I have lived the perfect life to give them righteousness. I have to give them eternal life. I have lived the perfect life to be their perfect sacrifice without blemish. As everything we're seeing in Leviticus is typifying. I perfectly save them. It's done. It's finished. Beloved, there's nothing else to do for you to be saved. He's prayed for you to believe. So you believe. You've believed on his perfect work for you, his glorious work for you. He's prayed for you. And he's talking about the fact that it's finished. It's done. I've done it. I have acquired them. I have accomplished redemption for them. The spirit will apply it. Giving you belief. Uh, They know and they believe the Trinity, and they have fellowship with the Trinity, and unity with Him, and unity with one another. That's something He's commenting on and praying for. Verses 7 to 8. Now they have known that all things whatsoever Thou hast given me are of Thee. For I have given unto them the words which Thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from Thee, and they have believed that Thou didst send me. Notice this idea of knowing and believing. Verses 21 to 23 the result of it, what's happening. That they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee And then verse 25, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. So he's praying about that you know, just as we saw this morning by the Holy Spirit's testimony, you know. You know that these things are true, but what's more, you know God. You know Jesus and the Father that sent him. And he's praying that you know unity, that you know unity union in Christ, that you know fellowship with the Trinity. And also he prays for the church to have unity. And doesn't that draw you back to Philippians 2 that we were in uh, a while back in the evening sermons? What is Paul's great concern? That we would have humility, that we would have unity, that we would all have the mind of Christ. Here Jesus is praying with that mind that we would have that mind. So when you might doubt and wonder, not only whether you can have assurance that you will persevere to the end when you concerned for the church you the church will persevere until the end because Christ has prayed for its unity and our unity together in Christ in fellowship with the triune God Ultimately Jesus prayed for you And this is what we want to emphasize look at verse 9 I I pray for them I pray not for the world But for them which thou hast given me for they are thine Again you've given them to me but I pray for them And now verse 20 our our focus verse this evening Neither pray are for these alone but for them also Which shall believe on me through their word Mm -hmm. Because Jesus prayed for you thousands of years ago, you believe this word that his apostles left for you. That's why he prayed for you. John 20 verse 29 is true because of John 17. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen And yet have believed. And why is that? Because he prayed for you that you would believe. And you'll keep on believing. Just as he prayed for Peter. You will not lose faith. Thy faith will fail not. When you fall. And when you doubt. You remember Jesus says, I've prayed for you. And when you are converted. Get back to service. Because you were prayed for by Jesus, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. 1 Peter 1 verse 8. Because he prayed for that, so it is so, and so it shall always be. Notice, as you consider that he prayed for you, I hope this further impresses you with how blessed you are, Christian. He prayed for you, but notice something in verse 9. I pray for them, I pray not for the world. I pray not for the world. He didn't pray for everyone. Why are others not saved? Because Jesus didn't pray for them, because God didn't give them to him. They're not a sheep. His name is Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. He didn't pray for everyone. But he prayed for you. Let that bless you. Let that humble you. Uh, remember to whom he prayed. Verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, first person of the Trinity, eternal God. He's. Praying to you, to his father, as the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, he's praying to God almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, who speaks and there's creation. Who is, as we have seen recently, glory, gloriously infinite, gloriously eternal, gloriously unchangeable God of God's Lord of Lords he prays to him for you you might think if someone had a connection to a certain high level governor or or president or something uh, and you wanted to some to vouch for you and get you in or put a good word in for you maybe for a job how excited you'd be if you knew someone who knew the head honcho Jesus Christ is praying to the God of Gods and Lord of Lords for you Look at verses 10 and 11. And now I am no more, excuse me, verse 10. All mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Notice that constant prayer for unity reflecting the Trinity. He prays to the father for you. So remember who he, to whom he prayed, but remember who is praying to him. Verse one, again, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, father, the hours come glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. And he's speaking back to before he became God incarnate. The second person of the Trinity, eternal God himself, is praying to eternal God himself for you. You're part of this glorious plan of salvation. You see this again in verse three, and this is life eternal that they may know, that they might know Thee, the only true God, speaking to the Father, and Jesus Christ, speaking of Himself as the Son of God, whom Thou hast sent. And uh, recall elsewhere that the Jews wanted to kill Him and ultimately crucify Him. Why He makes Himself equal with God by calling Himself the Son of God. He is God. God, the son is praying to God, the father for you. And as he said in the earlier chapters before this chapter, he sends God, the Holy Spirit to be with you until he brings you into full glory. Here's the Trinity today, especially. He prayed for the father to keep you. Verse 11 again. I'm no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to the Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. Keep them, Lord. Keep. He's prayed for the Lord to keep you in his hand. And he's asking the Lord to keep you just as he said in verse 12. I have kept them. I have kept them from the world. I've kept them together in me. Now I pray that you will keep them from the world. Just as he did, John 6, 39 and 10, 28. He doesn't lose one of the sheep that his father has given them. He keeps them. And now he prays that you would be kept in his departure bodily. He prays that you would have joy. This is related to assurance. Remember, we saw that this morning with 1 John. Verse 13. And now I come to thee. And these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Of course, he speaks elsewhere of I give you my peace. That's not of this world, fruit of the spirit, right? I give you my joy. He prays for you to be full of joy, beloved. Luther has a lot to say about this. Christians should be the most cheerful people on the earth. And if we're not, shame on us. Now, this is not denying that we go through our own mourning and we weep with those who weep as we rejoice with those who rejoice. But generally, overall, we weep because we have the resurrection. We have the hope of glory that will not disappoint. And Jesus prays for your joy, joy unspeakable. The joy of the Lord is my strength through your sorrows, through your troubles. In fact, he'll have more of that to say right now. He prays to keep you through trouble that you will most certainly have in the world. He prays for your joy. He prays for you to have it to get through the troubles. Verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Of course, he has said elsewhere, in the world you will have much tribulation, but don't be troubled. I have overcome the world. And he's prayed for you to be in him. He's called you out of the world to be in it, but not of it. But he's recognizing you're going to have trouble. So he's acknowledging this and he prays for you. How often do we ask someone to pray for us, a brother or sister or church, please pray for us, whatever we're going through and beloved. Certainly we will. But what the most encouraging thing for you is the Lord Jesus Christ has already prayed for you before you existed to get through your troubles on this earth. This is assurance. How am I going to get through this? Because Jesus already prayed that you would before you even existed to have trouble. And that you'll go from there straight into glory. He prayed the Father would keep you from evil. Look at verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. Ah, see that, beloved. In but not of it. He doesn't ask that you go through an easy life here. He prays that you give a witness in this dark world they will always try to put the flame out of the light of the world. I don't pray that they should be taken out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. So in particular, uh, keeping us in a number of ways, keep them from evil. Now, of course, he teaches us, as you've been studying for a while and on Wednesday nights, Matthew six thirteen, and lead us not into temptation. He tells you to pray, but deliver us from evil. And then, you know, also in Luke twenty two forty. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Well, praise the Lord. He tells you to pray this from two different angles, but also he's prayed for you himself to be kept from evil and ultimately evil consuming and overcoming you and taking you away. Martin Lloyd-Jones says of this verse, 15, If we but realized the concern of our Savior for us as we are tried and tempted and beset by sin and Satan, it would revolutionize our whole attitude towards everything. I might bring that back as we close our Wednesday night studies, but I, I couldn't wait to share that for now. You realize that Jesus has prayed for you and is concerned that you're not taking up in temptation. He doesn't just tell you to pray about it, he prayed about it for you. Revolutionize your whole attitude towards everything. He prays that you would be saved and sanctified. Look at verse 17, a word we we often think of in our prayers. He prays, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. He prays that you would be sanctified. And of course, that's one of two things that the scriptures say in the New Testament is God's will for you, the church. Thankfulness, which is going to come out of assurance. And sanctification, which is going to come out of assurance, because if you lack assurance, you won't bother trying. If you think it's about you measuring up, you'll give up. But if you lift up the scriptures, as Pastor Bell said, the scriptures will lift you up and Christ will lift you up and use the scriptures as he prays for you and brings his prayer into action. And you will lift your eyes up unto the hills and see that the Lord is your help and then lift them up higher to the heavens. And remember, he is sitting with his throne there and his feet upon the earth. And you'll have hope. This is he who has prayed for you. Sanctify you. So when you struggle to think you are being sanctified, you can know most assuredly you are being sanctified. And beloved, especially in the means of grace on the Lord's Day, in the reading, especially the preaching of the word. He's prayed for you. And that's why you're here. He's brought you here to be sanctified through his means. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. You think you brought you here today. (laughs) If it was up to you and me, we wouldn't be here. God brought you here today, answering the prayer of Christ in John 17. And he's sanctifying you because he asked for it and he's getting it by his word. Because he has sanctified himself for you. Verse 19. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. He's going to offer himself up as the perfect sacrifice. Live the perfect life for you. Now going to go be the perfect sacrifice for you. That you'll be sanctified in him. And all these things are so reassuring as you hear that he's been, he's thinking of you, praying for you in great detail over all of this. We see in the prayer that it is Christ's will for us to persevere and be glorified in heaven. Verse 24 Father, I will that they also whom Thou hast given me, notice given again, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which Thou hast given me, for Thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. He says, I will, this is my will. What does he pray right before he has to go to the cross? If it be thy will, let me let this cup pass for me and yet not my will, but thine be done. But here he's praying. It is my will. Therefore, that's why he faced the cross for you. It is my will that the ones you have given me will be where I am, where I've come from heaven. It is my will. He says, I want them, Lord. You've given them to me. He is the son of God. He is the mediator. His will is the father's will. And the father and the son always get what they want. What they want is perfect and they want you. And so they are putting it out loud in this prayer for all to hear and know and believe in this high priestly prayer. What Christ asks of God, he always gets and he asked for you. And so he will get you, which means you get him and you get heaven done. It can't be undone because it is Christ's prayer for you. Christ also declared his name to them and their union in and with him. So God's love will abide in us. Verse 26. And I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it that thy love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Even now that our love, they will know this love. They will be sharing this love and having a taste of heaven that is theirs for sure in glory land. I mean, think about how glorious heaven will be, beloved. Perfect love. Perfect love of God. Perfect love of one another. It's incredible to consider. But we need only look at news on anything that's happened recently, we only need to uh, read the history books to know how the world is with a lack of it. Perfect love, what a place this will be, and it's yours. Let me review some things from the Westminster Larger Catechism, which largely reflect the confession. Larger Catechism 79, and this is to assure you with the prayer of Christ before you. True believers, by reason of the unchangeable love of God, notice that unchangeable, we saw that last week, God is gloriously unchangeable, this is, can't change his prayer for you. By reason of the unchangeable love of God and his decree and covenant to give them perseverance. Their inseparable union with him, his continual intercession for them and the spirit and seed of God abiding in them can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace but are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Notice his continual intercession. He already prayed for you thousands of years ago in John 17. That's enough. He prayed. He's always uh, representing you now as the high priest, your advocate in heaven. You have a great high priest. So he's continually making intercession for you with an unceasing priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Letter to the Hebrews, featuring uh, Psalm 110 and Genesis 14. Larger Catechism 80, such as truly believe in Christ and endeavor to walk in all good conscience before Him may, without extraordinary revelation, by faith, Grounded upon the truth of God's promises, and by the Spirit enabling them to discern in themselves those graces to which the promise of life are, promises of life are made, and bearing witness with their spirits that they are the children of God, be infallibly assured that they are in the estate of grace and shall persevere therein unto salvation. And John seventeen gives that to you, especially so your inseparable union with Christ, his continual intercession for you, the spirit and the seed of God abiding in you. Because of that, you who truly believe in Christ by faith are grounded upon the truth of God's promises by the spirit enabling you and bearing witness with your spirits. You can infallibly be assured that you are in the estate of grace and you shall persevere therein unto salvation. A lot of this relates to I in tulip and P in tulip. One more catechism, larger catechism, number 81. Assurance of grace and salvation, not being of the essence of faith. True believers may wait long before they obtain it, and after the enjoyment thereof may have it weakened and intermitted through manifold distempers, sins, temptations, and desertions. Yet are they never left without such a presence and support of the Spirit of God as keeps them from sinking into utter despair. Though it can waver, it's never taken away. Remember the shorter catechism, catechism question and answer thirty six we studied a little while ago in the evenings. The benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and justi- uh, excuse me, and sanctification, are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, and perseverance therein to the end. But notice the first thing listed benefits in this life that accompany justification, adoption and sanctification, assurance of God's love. You see that in John 17. Remember also what we looked at this morning, but I want to apply it to you again. Confession of Faith 18, section 3. This infallible assurance does not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and conflict with many difficulties before he be partaker of it, yet being enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given him of God. Notice how often... John 17, given, given, given. He may, without extraordinary revelation, and the right use of ordinary means, that's what you're here for, attain thereunto. And therefore, it is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure, that thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, in love and thankfulness to God, and in strength and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience. The proper fruits of this assurance. So far as it from inclining men to looseness. And they're kind of addressing that the Roman Catholic Church will say, well, if you preach by grace alone, faith alone, through Christ alone, people just go do a whole bunch of bad works. Oh, on the contrary, God will work these things in you to more holiness. This is what Jesus prayed for your sanctification. The fruit of the Spirit of Christ, notice again in verse 13, have joy. I brought that up this morning with 1 John. I want to bring it up again. Have joy. We are too downtrodden. May the Lord increase our joy. To be our strength, but to be our witness. Why would people come otherwise? (laughs) But enjoy God and your salvation. Further, Martin Lloyd-Jones says that, you know, it's amazing that Jesus says they have kept thy word, considering all their blunders, such as Peter's denying him. They have kept thy word. He says, how can that be said? Except for ultimately, he keeps his word. And God, the Father, keeps his word in this prayer. And it's an eternal plan. And ultimately, they keep his word. He says this, though, and I love this. He says, he said, they kept thy word in this prayer. He writes this, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He did not criticize them. He prayed for them. Beloved, I think we all know the jokes about prayer chains that are really gossip chains. Right? Just pray for one another. So Jesus... And here's more to the point. Jesus does not criticize you in his prayer because he sees you in himself, and the Father sees you in him, and him in you. He prays for you as more than conquerors, he doesn't criticize you. This is really good timing, I think, with our men's study where we are with Jonathan Edwards, Charity and its Fruit, Thinketh No Evil, Not Having a Censorious Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this here in this prayer, the Lord shows us the source of security and strength in this world. Can you imagine anything that is more comforting than this? That the Lord Jesus Christ has prayed for you. The Lord Jesus Christ himself has put us into the safe keeping of God and that we are therefore in God's safe keeping. That being said by Martin Lloyd-Jones, I share a little nugget with you from Robert Raymond. I've been quoting him often in recent messages. He said that assurance is related to the immutability of the gifts and calling of God that he does not repent of. That's what's spoken of in Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. He gives you gifts and a calling that he doesn't change his mind about. And so remember the sermon again last week. God is gloriously unchangeable. He's immutable. He gives you gifts. He gives you as a gift to the son. He doesn't lose you. It never changes. The gifts he gives you will never be lost because the gifts and calling of God do not change. He doesn't repent of them. He doesn't change his mind about you. And Raymond emphasizes this is one of your greatest senses of security and assurance in Christ. So, beloved, you can deposit all your trust in him and Christ's priestly mediation for you in this prayer. In this prayer, Jesus vouchsafes for you. Vocabulary.com tells us that the word vouchsafe comes from the Middle English expression to vouch or that is to assert or confirm something safe on someone, meaning you confer something in a way that's secure. Jesus vouchsafes you for the father. He vouches for you and you are safe. J. Ellis writes this. There used to be an old battered safe standing on Broadway in New York. On which was the notice, it stood the test. The contents were all saved. It had been in one of the hottest fires New York ever saw. But the old safe had carried its treasures safely through it all. No life so safe as that which is guided and controlled by Christ, he says. And beloved, so Christ guides and controls your life, safely assured into the next life by his high priestly prayer in John 17. And so as you have looked at he's prayed for you and you've looked at what he's prayed about for you and about you, beloved, may you rest assured in salvation because Jesus prayed for you. That is the message for you. Circle it in your bulletin, screw it in your cranium as you go home tonight and pray on it and sleep soundly. Rest assured in salvation because Jesus prayed for you. You look up to the first service where you've already circled. Rest assured in salvation by the Spirit's testimony within you. The intercession in you on earth. But again, now tonight, the intercession in heaven. First on earth in this prayer, continually in heaven. The mediator in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. Rest assured in salvation because Jesus prayed for you. And when you need reassurance when you need more assurance of your salvation if nothing else remember John 17 skip ahead to verse 20 and then read the whole prayer and rest assured let us pray. Lord God in heaven we are so thankful for this assurance we confess that we are often too much like the man in James 1, going to and fro and lacking assurance, lacking security. But it's not because of you. It's not because of what you've prayed. Lord, let us pray through this prayer and thank you. Thank you, Lord God, for including me, including me, including us as part of your great gospel plan of salvation for your glory manifested. Oh, Lord, thank you that you have chosen us and given us to the Son. The Son has kept us and given you back, and he sent the Holy Spirit to keep us and testify to us that we are yours, and you abide in us, and we abide in you because of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We thank you for such blessed assurance, and we pray that this Time today bathing in these doctrines will send us out indeed with more joy and a more glorious witness to the world that you would draw others of your elect in here to glorify your name together and celebrate what we have to look for together in thy kingdom come. And we do pray together as you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father,